It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked on Raptors, we continue the look back at the annals of Raptors history with a little mailbag on the historical context of the Toronto Raptors. That's going to be a lot of fun, but first, we got some silly season stuff to get to as OG Ananobi's name is circulating in trade rumors per report from Jake Fisher. We'll dig into what's real, what's not, is it all just noise, or is there something to it? That's all coming up on today's episode of Locked on Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1187 of Locked on Raptors for Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, May the 31st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. You can also find the podcast for free on all your favorite podcast apps. You can subscribe, follow, rate, review over there. And you can go to YouTube and subscribe to the show for free there as well. Up to nearly 2,050 subs. It's been wonderful. We've had a great surge of subs lately. So thank you if you have joined the crew over there. If you have not yet, it's time to do so, baby. It's just a quick little press a button, a big red subscribe button, and then you are forever part of the Locked on Raptors YouTube family. Uh, today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the park carts, you'll, all the car parts you will ever need at rockauto.com tell them locked on sent you more on them a little bit later on in the show all right 
On today's show, we are going to get to a couple of mailbag questions. We talked yesterday at length about Chris Bosh and his place in Raptors history, specifically as compared to Pascal Siakam. And that got me itching to talk about some old Raptors stuff, got me itching to remember some guys. And so I solicited questions about Raptors history for this mailbag episode. We'll get to those in segments two and three. Probably won't get to them all, but there are lots of good ones in there, and probably enough for two shows at some point here. So you have that to look forward to. But first, we got to talk about the latest that came out today from Jake Fisher over at Bleacher Report. Uh, the first of the silly season report dumps, I, I guess you would call it, from Jake Fisher, who, if you're not familiar, is to me actually like the best insider there is. Does he get all the scoops with the speed that Shams or Woj does? No, but he actually pedals in like full sentences and actual English and also does a pretty good idea, pretty good job giving you an idea of where things are coming from in terms of the reporting he's giving. He's not just taking agent statements and then dropping them into pieces. He's providing context. He's drawing conclusions and, you know, trying to connect the dots for you in a way that you don't get from most of the insiders. So I appreciate that about Jake Fisher, the the most acceptable of all the NBA insiders. And so when he reports something, you got to listen to it at least because he's very plugged in. There's no doubt about that. And he had a report today on Bleacher Report uh, with the headline, latest NBA offseason intel, does OG Ananobi want out of Toronto? Uh... That's a lot to get into, right? There's a, it's a big question. The headline, of course, never written by the reporter. Always keep that in mind. That's just a, a standard rule when it comes to content creation. Very rarely is the headline being written by uh, anyone but an editor because you got to get them clicks, clicks, baby. But if you read through the story, it gives a bit of a less dramatic view of the Raptors' situation as it pertains to OG Ananobi. Uh, it starts off with, quote, following a standout season from rookie, rookie of the Year Scotty Barnes, word is circulated among rival front offices that Ananobi grew dissatisfied at times with his role in Toronto, where Barnes joined Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet as the primary ball handlers in Nick Nurse's offense. Goes on to say, quote, two sources with knowledge of the dynamic told Bleacher Report that Ananobi has not directly expressed discontent with the situation with the Raptors. Perhaps the conversation around him has been driven more by external interest in acquiring the fifth year forwards services. That's the paragraph you got to read if you are a concerned OG Ananobi head who does not want him traded out of Toronto. And I will just say this off the very start here. I don't think OG is getting traded this summer, but if he is getting traded... It's going to be in a move for a player of a stature that makes it so you don't really miss OG Ananobi all that much. They're not going to trade OG Ananobi for depth pieces. They're not going to trade him for a couple of extra guys to throw into the bench or whatever. That's not what the Raptors are in the business of. They're not here to trade good players for worse players. They've never really done that, and it would be silly to do that for a guy like OG, who rightfully is going to command a pretty substantial asking price, but the Raptors are not in a spot where they're going to offsell very good players for picks and futures. They don't need to do that right now. They have two in their prime stars at 28 and 20, or 28 and 28. Yeah, both Siakam and Fred are both 28. They have Scotty Barnes obviously emerging into whatever he's going to be. There's no need for the Raptors to go and sell off pieces right now when in theory their competitive window could begin as early as next season. Not to say they're going to contend for a title next year, but they could certainly be one of the four or five best teams in the Eastern Conference and I would not bat an eye at that. And so, yeah, it's troubling to hear the reporting that, oh, maybe OG's disgruntled or whatever. But again, let's go back to these very important st statements here. Quote, word has circulated among rival front offices that Ananobi grew dissatisfied at, at times in his role with, with his role in Toronto. 
that's rival front offices talking because again reminder at the beginning of silly season Masai Ujiri don't leak anything Bobby Webster doesn't leak anything the Raptors don't leak stuff you don't get intel from the Raptors you get what other people perceive the Raptors intel to be then talking to reporters about that trying to drum up some sort of trade conversation around a guy like OG this is very similar to what happened last year when the Raptors take Scotty Barnes and then because people have these sort of preconceived notions about well teams have this player and this player and this position and this guy and they only have a certain number of players at this height that's just such arcane thinking the Raptors don't care about that. And the concept of drafting Scotty Barnes, thus meaning the Raptors had to trade Pascal Siakam, was a thing that was a thing all summer long last year. Think about the poo-poo platter of Golden State Warriors garbage that was being thrown on the table in a potential Pascal Siakam trade. That is just very clearly a team seeing a guy they want on their team and putting out, well, we have this package, maybe that would do it. All of this stuff is just noise. You got to always remember where this is coming from, and it's almost never, ever, ever coming from the Raptors themselves. It also just kind of speaks to all these other teams' preconceived notions about what the Raptors are. Well, the Raptors need a center. Well, the Raptors have many too, too many guys who are 6'8 and 6'9. How are they going to share the ball? People will realize at some point here that that's a feature and not a bug of this Raptors team. You're, they're supposed to have all of these long guys. It's literally called Vision Six Foot Nine. I don't know who coined it. Maybe, maybe I did. I have no idea. But it's been what we've talked about all season long. That's the whole point: is to get more guys who are the size of OG and the rest. And so the sort of very simple-minded thinking of, well, oh, they got so many guys who are six eight or six nine. They must have to trade one of them. That's just not how it works. And that, to me, is kind of what this reeks of. Very similar to the Pascal Siakam conversations last year. And as Jake Fisher goes on to note, two sources with knowledge of the dynamic told Bleacher Report that Ananobi has not directly expressed discontent with his situation with the Raptors and that the conversation is perhaps being driven around him by more external uh, interest from other teams. Because if you're another team and you look at this uh, really good six foot eight wing who hits 40% of his threes and is one of the best defenders alive, who makes 18 million bucks a year, yeah, you probably would be interested in him. Otherwise, you're terrible at your job. So, again, it's other teams fawning over a guy who they wish they could have on their roster. The piece goes on to mention the Utah Jazz as a potential match here as they look to potentially move on from Rudy Gobert. And we'll talk about this probably next week. We'll get into the Utah Jazz side of things and Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell as well uh, and whether OG is potentially part of that. And look, if a trade is going to materialize with the Utah Jazz for either Mitchell or Gobert, OG will almost certainly have to be involved because of the money at play here. Rudy Gobert makes a lot of a lot of money like a lot of money he makes what is it 38.2 million bucks it's going to go up to 46.7 million in 25 26 that's a lot of money for Rudy Gobert but next year he makes 38 million bucks OG makes just 18 so you'd have to have a bunch of money added on top of OG to make it happen and the most notable candidate for that would be Gary Trent Jr but then you're trading two of your three best shooters for a guy who doesn't shoot yes the Raptors defense would be unbelievable with Rudy Gobert at the at the center obviously you know Rudy Gobert is easy to make fun of but he's unquestionably very good at playing defense that makes some sense but it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Raptors considering the weaknesses they have on the roster and if you go into a season where your only dependable shooters are Fred Van Vliet and God, hopefully Chris Boucher, hopefully some guy you sign with the mid-level, maybe Precious Achua, that's probably not the place you want to be. So I think that one doesn't have a ton of legs to it. We'll talk about it next week, though. Either way, 
the Blazers come up as a team as well with Josh Hart kind of being thrown around. He makes 13 million bucks next year if the Blazers guarantee it. Uh, they, of course, have the seventh pick in the draft. You could maybe talk me into like Hart and the seventh pick and some other stuff uh, being at least a reasonable package for OG. But ultimately, like I said, you're not getting a player better than OG. I don't think you're trading OG. OG is part of something bigger, not something where you're dispersing different parts around your roster. Even though the seventh overall pick might be nice, I don't really see that being a thing the Raptors are going to go for when they have OG already like, oh, the seventh overall pick. Maybe he's as good as OG one day. OG is that guy right now. He's one of the 10 best players drafted in that draft he came out of. And that's a pretty good draft. So I would not be uh, too concerned about that Blazers rumor either. So again, just kind of in short, all of this stuff is noise and it is noise you expect in the offseason, especially when it comes to a team that doesn't leak a whole lot itself and a team that has built itself, as I've talked about on this very show, has built itself into a position where they are obviously positioning themselves to strike if an opportunity comes to trade for a star. Donovan Mitchell might be that guy to address their creation problems and really give Pascal and Scotty that extra burst of scoring around them to really make it all work together. Maybe that's something that can be worked out with OG as the, the piece going the other way. But again, the same money concerns come into place because Donovan Mitchell makes, makes a lot of scratch as well. And so I'm not really reading too much into this Jake Fisher report. Even Jake Fisher himself says it's probably other teams just posturing and projecting their own desires and wants onto a guy who is obviously very good. And it's easy to see where he might not be the sort of piece that fits in with the Raptors because of the way they build their team. But if you kind of know what the team is doing and understand their vision and the idea that they want to have as many guys who are like OG as possible, it makes me a lot less compelled by this rumor. Unless there's some trade out there where OG is getting a return of an actual star, again, a guy who's going to make it so you don't miss OG, which is a very short list of players, I don't think you have to worry too much about OG and Anobi getting dealt this offseason. And with that, I'm going to leave that behind for now, and we'll keep tabs on it as the offseason progresses. I'm sure it's not the last report we'll hear. We heard the Pascal Siakam stuff a ton last summer as well. None of it ever came of anything. None of it ever came to anything because a lot of this stuff is just dudes texting insiders and saying their their wants and desires as opposed to actual things that are going to happen. OG's under contract for like three more years as well, so I wouldn't worry about it. Anyway. With that, we will uh, carry forward, and we're going to answer some mailbag questions on Raptors history, baby. Again, we, yesterday we talked about Chris Bosh and Pascal Siakam. If you haven't checked that one out yet, I would go and do it because it's a lot of fun. But we'll get into some historical stuff. We'll talk about where things went wrong in the Brian Colangelo era. There's a great question about who the most Canadian, non-Canadian Raptor is of all time. And we've got some other good ones in there as well, which we will get to coming up in just one second. But first... I want to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks who are making daily fantasy easy, which is a wonderful thing. You pick two to five players on Prize Picks, and it's just an over under on their projections. You can win up to 10 times on any entry, and it's just you against the projected numbers the way it should be in daily fantasy. There's no shadow expert behind a screen putting together a lineup you haven't seen before. It's just the projections, and then it's you and them. Winner takes all. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. You can use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play, and they offer any prop you can think of from points scored, rebounds, even steals. Look, the NBA Finals are a nightmare. The Celtics? Gross. The Warriors? I'm tired. No more. I, this is a nightmare matchup. I don't really even want to watch it all that much, but 
I will because you have things like daily fantasy and betting and whatnot that you can go with. And if you are a daily fantasy person who wants to make some money watching the NBA Finals so you don't feel so bad watching the Celtics play basketball, then Prize Picks is for you. They have a no-brainer offer for all of our users. Users get 50 bucks for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point. You must use the code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to locked on fans. Sign up today. Use the code NBA for 50 bucks for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point. Uh, and Prize Picks is only available to our listeners in the United States. Just check the availability in whichever state you live in. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax, make your moves They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day on Locked On Raptors. Moving now away from the trade stuff. We had to leave with the big stuff, of course. That's just the way it works, the way of the world. But we do have uh, some excellent mailbag questions that came in. I put out the call for historically themed Raptors mailbag questions because I had a lot of fun talking about Chris Bosh yesterday. It was a really, really good time. So let's dig in now, shall we, to some very good questions. This one here comes from Pascal Propaganda, one of our faves here at the podcast and uh, one of the foremost Pascal Siakam propagandists, of course. I would argue the foremost. Uh, the question is, what past Raptors role player best demonstrates the values of Vision 6'9"? I submit Jamario Moon for consideration. Very good question, and lots of guys to dig into here, although maybe not as many as you'd think because the Raptors have historically not been a team, at least in its darker ages, in sort of the aughts into about 2013, were never really known for their defense. It was like never really a calling card. I think it was until Dwayne Casey took over that the Raptors had like their first ever top five defensive finish in the NBA, something crazy like that. Uh, it's never really been that much of a calling card, but... I do think uh, Jamario Moon's a fun one, very athletic, cool dunks and all of that. Uh, truthfully, I don't think he was a good enough defender to really sort of get the time necessary under uh, Nick Nurse. Maybe with some schooling in the principles, he would have some success, but I, I don't know if he really struck me as a great defender. Uh, for me, I think the guy that if you just dropped into this team right now would be so perfect is Doug Christie, one of the forgotten guys in Raptors history, former guest of this podcast, Doug Christie, from a couple years back. Uh, still 12th in team history in win shares, which is nuts. If he's still on the front page of basketball reference when you go to Raptors players, or Raptors franchise index, which is awesome. Uh, obviously, he was for a long time until Kyle Lowry passed him the leader in steals in Raptors history as well. He's now number two. Uh, he's one of the best three-point shooters, most prolific three-point shooters in Raptors history as well. He sits right now 10th in three-point makes, and this is playing between 1996 and 2000. Uh, he averaged 14 a game. He averaged four assists four boards like he just kind of did a little bit of everything and he's like six foot seven six six like he was a large dude who could play any position guard you know probably one through four in today's nba i 100 percent like think that 
Doug Christie, if you dropped him into this Raptors team with all that he does, would be just such a perfect fit. He would fix all the bench concerns if you swap him onto the bench. Maybe you move Gary Trent Jr. to the bench and you swap Doug Christie in as your starting two guard next to Fred. That would be a ton of fun. Uh, I, I think there's a lot to be done with Doug Christie, modern-day Doug Christie on the Toronto Raptors. I mean, he was on some really good teams, man. He was on those fun-ass Kings teams, of course, as well. Uh, yeah, Doug Christie, to me, is a kind of an all-timer. And not just because he was on this podcast, but because he was really, really good at basketball. Uh, let's go. Next question here comes from Cameron Hilton. What would you rank as Masai's worst decision? Caboclo, Damari Carroll, Joseph for uh, Prelsditch. <laughs> Cameron, congratulations for pulling that one out of the hat. Um, worst decisions by Masai. You know, the Damari Carroll one is tough because... In theory, it made a lot of sense. This was a team that needed some wing defense, needed some extra three-point shooting around Kyle and DeMar. And I thought on paper it made a lot of sense. It sucked because he got really hurt a whole lot, missed a ton of time. And I don't know if you can blame Masai Ujiri for signing a guy who then goes and gets hurt. Maybe they put too much stock into his time with the Hawks. Maybe they didn't put into, you know, didn't take enough consideration into, okay, why was he so successful? Oh, it was because this team was just like perfectly engineered to take advantage of what Damari Carroll does well. That is all part of it. But I think you can't really blame Masai for, for you know, the, the injuries that he, I think he had plantar fasciitis, had a knee thing. I think there were at, at times some concerns with like the medical staff and how they were dealing with Damari Carroll. I don't know if that's a Masai thing necessarily. And also keep in mind, this was the summer where everyone was getting paid, right? The cap goes up and, or this might've been the year before the big cap spike when, uh, you know, DeMar or when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors, but the cap was going up at this point and there was a lot of cap space out there and the Raptors had a lot of money to burn. And, you know, in hindsight, 16 million bucks a year on Damari Carroll doesn't actually sound all that crazy, but uh, yeah, it, it sucked because the injuries fell apart. You know, he did have some moments, right? Like he had the moments in the postseason when the Raptors went to the conference finals. He had some big games in there. He was part of some pretty fun like, you know, weird regular season wins as well. I always think back to that game just before the All-Star break in 2017 when Damari Carroll, I think, played in a lineup. I want to say it was with Jakob Pertl and then the three guards, Corey Joseph, DeLon Wright, or maybe it was Fred VanVleet. God, it's all so... I think it was DeLon Wright and Kyle Lowry and that five-guard or five-man lineup, very, very small, went and pulled a huge comeback in the last game before the All-Star break against the Hornets. That was just after they had acquired Serge Ibaka. Ibaka was in the house, didn't play. Uh, that was always a fun one. So look, it sucked for Damari. He was also just such a good dude, like a really, really great ambassador, a thoughtful guy when you spoke to him in interviews and whatnot. Thought he got a raw deal. So he's not, to me, Masai's worst call. And Bruno Caboclo, I think, made a lot of sense as like, oh yeah, that, that, that should be something that works and can be something that you know, down the line, you're happy you took the the, the the gamble on. Obviously, he was lusting hard after Giannis, a year after not getting Giannis and trading up like he wanted to in that 2013 draft. And so Caboclo was like, all right, maybe we can see if this works. It might have been a little ambitious, but ultimately didn't hurt the Raptors all that much. This was before they had really established their shadow core, so maybe it felt like it hurt more. But they so quickly filled in the roster with good draft picks that I think you give them a pass on the Bruno one. For me, I think the worst Masai decision kind of is a recent one. I think it's probably putting too much and too many eggs into the is Giannis going to sign the Supermax thing, or at least not kind of having a better backup plan in place for how to fill in the center position last year, right? Like, 
and in hindsight, like I even defended that, you know, I have defended that. I probably still do defend it to a degree, but I think I see the argument for, man, he really put all his eggs in that one basket, which was maybe an unlikely thing. Maybe he had intel we didn't have, but, you know, when Giannis signs that Supermax so late, I think it was in November in that weird sort of truncated offseason, you're sitting there like, oh God, what are we going to do? And then to have Ibaka and Gasol leave, I don't think necessarily in hindsight that looks that bad because Ibaka hasn't been the same player since. Gasol only played the one season. Yes, you know, or did he win the title that year? No. Yeah, he did. No, no. It was the bubble where they won the title. So it was, God, the year after. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, like neither Gasol or Ibaka went on to great things with either of their following teams. And so it makes sense that, hey, you know, like you, you let those guys walk and that's fine. But I, I do wonder if maybe they should have gone and tried to sign a center. And if they knew Ibaka and Gasol were going to be casualties of their Giannis pursuit, maybe there was a way they could go about signing a big before the Giannis news came down to a one-year deal where there would be flexibility on the other side still. Like someone who was looking for a one-year contract as opposed to Ibaka and Gasol who both seemed like they wanted more. Again, it's easy to sort of nitpick that thing. And I, I still think, you know, lining things up to try to sign Giannis and the eventuality he became available was very much the right move but i think the order of operations there and kind of leaving it all so late was what got them aaron baines and what got them very little center production during that tampa season uh but maybe set them up on the track to centerless basketball which is also kind of fun um We'll get to a couple more mailbag questions here on the other side, and we will round out the show. But before we do that, uh, let me tell you about our friends over at rockauto.com, who are a wonderful place to keep you from having to spend all your money on car parts. No one wants to do that. Cars are expensive. Gas is through the damn roof. So save some money, would you? And and when you have to replace something on your car, go to rockauto.com first to get the part for less than you're going to get it for at the mechanic and you can bring it in and say, hey, sir, I have this. Put this in my car, please. And they will have to do it for you. That's how it works, baby. It's wonderful. You can save tons of money. For example, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump costs 350 bucks at your average chain store. It's 216 bucks at rockauto.com. That is a lot of money for gas or things that are not driving related, which are way more fun than driving. Driving sucks. Don't spend all of money so you can drive places. Just make it so you can get from point A to point B without going out of house and home. Go to rockauto.com right now. See other parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in their had you hear about us box. So know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you will ever need at rockauto.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on here with the final couple mailbag questions about Toronto Raptors history. Another fun one here from Cameron Hilton. Is it fair to say that before Masai Ujiri drafted Valanchunas and Jakob Pertl, the best all-around center the Raptors ever had was actually Rosho Nesterovic? That is... A cursed question, to be sure, but probably not all that crazy. You know, Antonio Davis probably would have been the answer to this question had he played for, you know, uh, played in an era where he wasn't a power forward. Like, he probably should have been a center on those Raptors teams with Vince Carter. Um, so, yeah, when you look at Rasha Nesterovic's Raptors career, so two different stints over three seasons. He plays 193 games, 120 starts, 6.3 points, 4.1 boards. The stats never really tell the whole story. He was a pretty reliable sort of back-end defender, if 
not super mobile. Probably would have been uh, barbecue chicken in today's NBA, but in the mid-2000s, he kind of got away with it. But yeah, I, I think probably not Rosho because there's just not quite enough there in terms of offensive output. I would say probably the best center they ever had before Valanchunas and Pirtle and then obviously Gasol later and Ibaka would probably be, I mean... I guess there were moments where Chris Bosh played some center with Jermaine O'Neal on the team. So if you want to cheat and say Chris Bosh, sure. But if we're going pure, pure centers, it's probably all the way back to Marcus Camby, man, which is wild and a little bit sad. But like, there's a lot of pop so and drum moiso in between Marcus Camby and it's the present day where they have good centers, right? And, and Valanchunas, of course, was a really, really damn good one. Um, yeah, there's a, like a 13, 14-year window there where there's just not much in the way of anything outside of the brief moments where Bosch would play center or Bargnani would play center. Uh, God, that's horrible. I mean, second straight day I've invoked Andre Bargnani playing at center on the podcast. Not cool. Um, but yeah, it's probably can be. That's a really dark and twisted question, Cameron, but thank you for sending it in. I'm sad now. Uh, let's continue on here. This uh, next question comes from Freddie Rivas, who asks, in your opinion, who is the fastest Raptor moving with the ball of all time? Uh, so without the ball, I would say like rookie season Pascal Siakam with all those outlet passes was pretty awesome. In terms of with the ball, like I think it's got to be TJ Ford, right? Like TJ Ford in his heyday, was considered the fastest player in the NBA or one of the fastest players in the NBA. You can maybe throw, like, Ray Ferralston into this one as well. You could also add Norman Powell. Like, that dude's first step, pretty unbelievable. Great getting out on the run. That's not a bad call at all. But I think TJ Ford, just because of the reputation he had within the league as one of the fastest guys of life, and that's with those big billowy shorts slowing down all of his strides. Imagine if he had OG shorts on, how incredible TJ Ford could have been. Uh, but no, I think because he was deemed the fastest player alive, uh, or at least one of them, I, I think that has to be TJ Ford's title. Uh, next question here. This one comes from our pal Charlie Bender asking, taking a look at all the non-Canadian players who have played for the Raptors, there's a lot, LOL, yep, like 240 of them, uh, which do you think screams Canada the most? This is a fun one, too. Two guys come to mind immediately as guys, I guess three, who were like really, really sort of adopted Canada and loved it here, were steeped in it, and felt like, oh yeah, like they just feel like they're regular Canadians. And they are Amir Johnson, and Matt Bonner, and also DeMar DeRozan. I mean, DeMar had the LA ties at all times, so that's sort of, it cuts into his case a little bit, but Amir Johnson just felt like a dude from Toronto, uh, walking around, being a guy about town. And then Matt Bonner, of course, with like the taking the subway when he was in, in town and uh, really seemed to ingratiate himself. And still to, to this day, really seems to have ties, as much as he's tied to the Spurs franchise still, because he was there for some very, very good times. He still has those connections with the Raptors. He appears on Toronto radio all the time, speaks with Toronto people, you know, in media stuff pretty regularly. So I would say... Yeah, it's probably Matt Bonner and Amir Johnson, and then DeMar DeRozan, I think, you know, just as a guy who embraced Canada, same as Kyle Lowry, frankly, like guys who embraced being here and signed extra contracts to stick around, I think that to me screams Canada, uh, you know, in a way that most guys who have played for the Raptors uh, screamed, get me out of Canada. All right, let's go to well, one or two more questions here. This one comes from uh eric morris at epic Moppus, who asks is the vibe on vince carter good enough now that he'd get number 15 retired after kyle's number seven 
yeah, I don't think anyone's getting their number retired before Kyle Lowry. That feels like it's set in stone. That might happen the first year after he retires, which sadly probably ain't going to be too, too long from now. Um, by the way, that game six for Kyle in that Heat Celtics series was thrilling. He was also great in game seven. It's a shame they lost, but uh, boy, oh boy, Kyle Lowry. What a delight to watch him play at full kick-ass Kyle Lowry form in the final couple games of that conference finals. Back to the question. Vince Carter, yeah, I think back in, I think it was the 14-15 season when he was with the Grizzlies, uh, which, by the way, one of my favorite teams ever, that 14-15 Grizzlies team, but that's another point for another day. Uh, Vince Carter comes in and gets, like, a big ovation from the Raptors crowd. This is, of course, the first full season that they're good. I think it's Vince's first trip to Toronto since they turned things around uh, after the Rudy Gay trade in 2013-14. He might have had one during the season before, but this really felt like, uh, okay, the Raptors are over their, like, decade-long malaise post-Vince. Things seem to be kind of clearing up. The, the franchise is in a good spot. They have DeMar, they have Kyle, they got Masai, they got Dwayne Casey. Things seem like they're in a pretty good spot. And there was a lot of appreciation going around that night, I remember in particular, for Vince Carter, as it should have been. Look, I, I totally understand people having a grudge against Vince Carter for how things ended with the Raptors. But also, uh, the Raptors were a nightmare, very similar to the conversation we had yesterday about Chris Bosh and why we understood his reasons for wanting out would have understood Vince Carter's reasons for wanting out as well. Of course, he didn't have to go and, like, quit on the team, literally, and say he was going to stop dunking before getting traded. That certainly didn't help his trade value and certainly played into the fact that the Raptors got nothing for him. Um, but I, I do think there is, you know, enough that Vince did for the franchise. Like, the franchise, in many ways, doesn't exist as it does today without Vince Carter. Hell, they might have been the, the same fate as the Grizzlies. Maybe the Canadian NBA experiment falls apart if Vince Carter doesn't come along. Maybe that's overstated. I don't know. But I, I still think there's enough there, enough distance from what happened, enough understanding that the Raptors were a horribly mismanaged team. Now that you've seen the Raptors with good management for a decade, it's really easy to see how poorly they were managed in, in, the, in the past, right? Just the comparison points are so, so wide apart that I think it's a little bit easier to process like, oh yeah, okay, 0405, the Raptors were in a bad spot and it makes some sense that Vince Carter would have wanted out, even if he could have handled it better and maybe he never really fully apologized. I could see why people might have a grudge over that, but ultimately I think the good that he did for the Raptors is far outweighed by, you know, it far outweighs the bad in the way he left. And so, yeah, I, I would say for sure he should get retired. I would say maybe after DeMar as well, you go Kyle uh, first, DeMar second, and then maybe you get Vincent after there, although maybe DeMar still has enough years left that you don't want to just sit there with only one jersey up in the rafters for too, too long. But um, I do like the idea of Kyle and DeMar being the only two up there for a little bit before Vince goes up. Either way, I think Vince will get retired at some point, whether it's uh, before DeMar or after DeMar, I don't know. But I, I think it's certainly... The, the fence seems mended there enough that I think for sure he should get retired. And, like, honor your history, man. I think most teams should retire more numbers. Like, actually care about the, the players who have played for you. Oh, you didn't win a title. Oh, good. Who cares? Support the guys who supported your team and were on your team and made it worth fun, worth watching and fun to take in. Uh, with that, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for all the wonderful questions. We'll get to some more, I'm sure, at some point on a light content day coming up here. But so it turns out OG Ananobi made me have to talk about non-off-season uh, content. I guess it is off-season content. You know what I mean. Uh, the light fun, not at all about the actual present day stuff. I uh, got cut short because OG had to be in some trade rumors today. So we had to address those. But hopefully I addressed those uh, in a way that made you feel better about them. We'll see. Uh, uh, and uh, we'll keep an eye on that as we go forward. Of course, 
More coming up this week. Tomorrow, Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns is going to pop on the show. We're going to talk about DeAndre Ayton and whether or not there could be a match there. Maybe that's an OG trade destination. We'll get to that. I don't know if there's a totally clear vision there for getting Ayton with the Raptors, but it is an interesting one for sure that a lot of people want to hear about. So we'll talk about that with Brendan Clean, the lovely host of Locked On Suns tomorrow. And then we got more stuff for you later on in the week that I'm still kind of plotting through and planning. Probably next week is when we'll dig into the Jazz guys, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, in a couple episodes. We might even bring back Mid-Level Madness later this week as well, because that seems to have been a hit that we did last Thursday and Friday. If you haven't watched those episodes or listened to those episodes, go back and check them out from Thursday and Friday. They were a lot of fun. And uh, thank you for the kind words to those of you who sent kind words along. With that... We'll round things out. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday with the Suns DeAndre Ayton episode. Until then, go make your second listen of the day, Locked on Avalanche or Locked on Oilers. They did a crossover episode previewing what should be the greatest thing in sports for the next two weeks, which is Connor McDavid against Nathan McKinnon. If you're mad about the NBA Finals being the Celtics and the Warriors, go watch the Western Conference Final in the NHL. McDavid, McKinnon, Dreisaitl, Makar. I've been like just soaking in the NHL playoffs this season. They've been super fun, and that crossover preview should be a great way to get you primed for what should be an absolute banger of a series. So go do that, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Until then, have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.